Welcome to episode 460 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada, still suffering the broken rib, but we're going to make up for lost time on this episode. And here's what I want to do. I wanted to do something different on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I see everyone talking about the same topics, and and I wanted to really laser focus on one specific topic, and I wanted to unwrap a situation happening at a manufacturer, and that manufacturer is Jersey Jack Pinball. And I'm going to do this leading up to Texas Pinball Festival for all the different companies out there and just give you my opinions about where I think these companies are today and where I think they're headed into 2020. But the real thing with Jersey Jack Pinball is this. There's two things I want to do. I really want to think about the significance of moving this company from New Jersey right? Jersey Jack, the name of the company is both his name and where he's making his games. He's from Brooklyn, but he's lived in Jersey for many years. And how did it come to this? How did Jersey Jack Pinball get stripped of making games in the state that the company is named after? And the other thing I want to talk about is what is Guns N' Roses mean for this company moving forward into 2020. Now, here's how I want to talk candidly from the heart. When I heard this news, the first thing I thought of, the first thing I thought of was how sad I was that Jack was going to lose his office in New Jersey. And if you've ever visited Jersey Jack Pinball and you've ever toured the facility there, it's a really magical place going into a pinball factory. It is. It is like going into the chocolate factory and seeing how the magic that we all love is made and manufactured. But there's one place there that I just always, I always love seeing Jack in his office. He's got his desk. There's all the memorabilia. There's the signs. And to his left, to his left is his dream come true. A Wizard of Oz Emerald City Edition. And there's something about that game that to this day, it still to me is the pinnacle of everything Jack wanted to do in pinball. It his dream, his dream is inside that box. It's inside that game. And we're going to talk about where the company has gone since Wizard of Oz and what I think my opinion is on what I think has gone wrong and right for Jersey Jack Pinball as we go into 2020. But I was just sad to know that Jack is no longer going to be waking up in New Jersey and he's no longer going to be able to drive to that facility and he's no longer going to be able to go into that office and welcome guests and go get them Jersey Mike subs for lunch and sit down with them and talk about his passion for pinball. He's not going to let them sit behind his desk and take fun photos it's going to be taken from him. And to me, I was just incredibly saddened thinking about Jack losing his company that way. And I know it's moving to Chicago, but this is much more than that. And for those of us out there who have ever had a dream of creating something, developing something, making a company out of thin air, I have never done it myself. It, it is a 
Herculean effort to do something like this. And I want to say this. I On this podcast, I know that I go back and forth on Jersey Jack games. And I do. And I'm going to talk about a lot of what my feelings are towards this company. I'm going to talk about that as I talk about what I think went right and wrong for Jersey Jack Pinball over the years. But I've always said it. I've always said it deep down inside. I think that there are very few people that care as much about making the greatest pinball on the planet as Jersey Jack. And nobody, I mean nobody, nobody has ever, since the Bally Williams days of the mid-90s, nobody has put as much into pinball machines as Jersey Jack Pinball has put into pinball machines. And it's really sad to me that someone who reached for the stars is now having his company moved and the carpet is going to be pulled out from underneath him. And he's sort of lost this company. And and I want to just talk about what I think happened along the way and why I think Jack sort of lost control of Jersey Jack Pinball. And then I want to do something that I did this morning on Facebook, and this is just an interesting thing to think about. I asked a very simple question on Facebook, and and, and, and listener of the show, you listen to this podcast maybe 460 times. You're on Pinside for years. Have you ever seen a pinball company start a thread on Pinside or on their own Facebook page and ask a very very simple question. And this is marketing. And this is why I say it's so important to just do the market research. I asked a very simple question. I said, what has kept you from buying a Jersey Jack machine? And I will read your answers on the air. Now, I, I've never seen any pinball company since I've been covering this hobby ever. Not Stern, not Jersey Jack, not American Pinball, not Chicago Gaming, not Spooky. No one has ever simply asked you, the pinball buyer, what has kept you from buying one of my games? And to me, that feedback, that feedback is more important to a company like Jersey Jack Pinball than all of the people just blowing smoke up their butts saying how they're making the greatest games of all time. Because when you look at the history of Jersey Jack Pinball, it has been anything but smooth sailing. It has been anything but an overwhelming financial success. And if it was just about making the best pinball machines of all time, they wouldn't be where they are today. So let's unpack this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. So when you think about it, when you think about it, this company was founded in 2011, nine years ago. And over a nine-year period, Jersey Jack Pinball has put out a total of five games. So you could just stop right there and say you really can't succeed in pinball if you can only get out five games in nine years. Now, if you add 2020 to the nine years and we expect Guns N' Roses this year, so let's say six games, but that's still, it's still less than a game a year. Now, some people might say, well, they didn't really start shipping Wizard of Oz until 2013. Still, it's not even, you kind of need to do the basics of it. You need at least a new game every year to stay viable in this hobby. And so, you know, Wizard of Oz was the inaugural title of Jersey Jack Pinball. And I think without a doubt, if you were to line up all of Jersey Jack's games, put them next to each other, Wizard of Oz 
is still the most impressive game they've ever made. And I'm going to say this. I think there's only one other game that Jersey Jack has made that is at the same caliber in terms of giving you everything in the kitchen sink as Wizard of Oz. And I'm going to make you wait to hear what I think that other game is. But it, it, it hasn't been consistent. So Wizard of Oz, Jersey Jack's inaugural title with Joe Balser. Game is packed, right? It's based on an iconic theme, evergreen theme. I would argue that it might be a little too childish for the pinball buying community. It's a family-friendly theme. But if you look at the pinball demographic, you are not going to find a bunch of buyers in this age demographic, men 40 to 60, who are extremely excited about The Wizard of Oz. So I would say right off the get-go, the theme as it is, is not an ideal theme for pinball. But, and this is the but, but it is a magical movie. It does lend itself nicely to pinball. And they did a phenomenal job in terms of integrating that movie into the pinball machine itself. It has every major moment from the film represented in an incredible world under glass in that game. You've got two upper play fields. You've got a witch that comes up from underneath the play field. You've got the spinning house. You've got the gates in the upper left corner to Oz. You've got Oz's face in the, in the little, what do you call that thing, like hologram. You've got Toto escape, the, uh, the hot air balloon and the state fair. You got, it's got every, the yellow brick road up the middle, right? Every single thing, the trees, the pop bumpers. I mean, all you got to do, all you got to do, look at those pop bumpers in Wizard of Oz and look at every single pop bumper in the history of Stern Pinball and you tell me this company is not trying to make these games better, is not putting more passion into the projects and to the products, right? So Wizard of Oz, who did not stand over that machine for the first time and, and have a smile from ear to ear? And compared to what was in the marketplace when Wizard of Oz came out, it was absolutely leagues above anything Stern was doing. And then the unfortunate happened for Jack business-wise. He prices the game at $6,500. And then it takes him three years to make the game. Two years, two to three years to finally get the games on the line. And they're well underpriced for what the bomb is. And in fact, Jack even said it. Like the bomb is closer to what he had the MSRP at. So it was more like an eight to $9,000 game. But still, the game was successful. It had everything you wanted. It had clips from the movie. It had audio from the movie. It had all the world under glass you wanted. The game sold very well. We know the story. Now look, the game sold probably too well for Jack that he wasn't really expecting to make more than the Emerald City editions and the pros. So then he had to introduce the Ruby Red edition. And that starts the beginning of the lack of direction and strategy from, from Jersey Jack Pinball, where he, he is the one company that took the word limited edition and didn't know what to do with it and defined it in such a weird way that he made the words limited edition mean nothing. He removed the value from it. He struggled. Jack struggled to simply do what Stern does best, which is a three-tiered model is the best model for pinball sales. If that's what you're going for, 
not just collectability, but sales. Make a finite number for the collectors. Make the same game without as much pizzazz for everyone who wants the full featured game. And then make a stripped down version for operators. Simple, easy, works every time. It still amazes me to this day how many companies fail to understand the power of the three-tiered system if you want volume of pinball sales and profitability, okay? So that game has done very well. I think to this day, they've sold over 5,000 Wizard of Oz games. Okay, so after Wizard of Oz, the much-anticipated sequel and follow-up to Wizard of Oz was The Hobbit. Now, Jersey Jack told us from day one, and this is where history is important. This is where the words from Jack matter. He told us that Wizard of Oz would be the most underwhelming title that we would see from Jersey Jack Pinball, that every game after Wizard of Oz would take it up a notch, and we were all excited for The Hobbit. Joe Balser would be designing The Hobbit as well, and we were all excited to see what would be in that game. Remember, before we saw The Hobbit, we were promised this like dragon mechanism that was going to blow us away, and everyone was dreaming about what it would be. And then the first thing happened. Before we even saw the game, remember what we got? We got the play field artwork, and it wasn't good. And everyone complained. And then they had to go and redo the playfield artwork. And they made it better. But then when we saw The Hobbit, it was another long delay between people's orders and games shipping. It was like another like two-year wait to get The Hobbit. And when the game was finally shown, it was underwhelming. And there's no doubt about it. Joe Balser's design in The Hobbit was uninspired. It, it just is a boring game to look at compared to Wizard of Oz. It is a boring game to shoot compared to Wizard of Oz. It is one of the most boring layouts I think most of us have seen in a really long time. And, and that's my point that I'm going to make as I pull through my assessment and my opinion of Jersey Jack Pinball is I think the reason Jersey Jack lost his company and he doesn't own it anymore. He, he owns, I think, maybe 20%. The reason he lost his company is I think Jack put his trust into people. And ultimately, those people didn't deliver the goods. Because I don't strike Jack as the kind of guy who walks into the room like Gary Stern and yanks stuff out. I think Jack gave creative freedom to some of the biggest names in pinball. And I think some of those biggest names in pinball, when given so much creative freedom, I think they came back with stuff that actually hurt Jersey Jack Pinball and Jack himself. And I think they let Jack down. But I also think Jack is somewhat to blame because Jack is a salesman, not a pinball designer. Jack can't stand over a game like George Gomez can and assess the design of that game because he's not a designer. And I think Jack's the kind of guy that's really nice and he, he gives you like, go make magic and come back, at, come back with stuff. And I really don't see Jack in there, executive creative directing stuff. So when he sees that Hobbit layout and the world of Middle Earth 
and all we have is a dragon hand puppet and a fishtails ramp and three, you know, three or five, I don't know, what are the five things that pop up? I would be like, it's it's missing something. It doesn't have the magic. Should we have a lower playfield as Gollum's cave? Do we have there's no upper playfield? There's just there's nothing exciting and magical that the ball does in the Hobbit at all. It's boring. It's like chopping wood. But yet that's the thing. Is so who then is accountable for that? Did Joe Balser let Jersey Jack down with that design? Why did they think that would work? There is more interesting stuff going on. And I'm just going to say this, going on from a magical wow standpoint in Stern's Lord of the Rings, which, by the way, I still think is one of Stern's greatest games ever. And that game is now 16 years old. But Jack is, you know, he's basically like remaking a theme that's been done. And there's nothing in The Hobbit that is as magical as the ring shot in Lord of the Rings or Balrog swinging out that you bash. You don't even bash the damn dragon, right? And there's a right upper flipper that clearly was designed for something else. I think there must have been a bash dragon in that game at some point that they couldn't figure out. There must have been. Why that upper right flipper shoots nothing. It must have been designed to shoot something more. Anyway, so The Hobbit comes out and it's lukewarm, right? The response is lukewarm. People are not really into it. And then, okay, then what happens? Then we get anticipation of the third game, Wizard of Oz home run for Jack. Hobbit, eh, middle of the road, lukewarm, kind of like a fail on their part, right? At this point, though, remember, this is the point at which Jersey Jack Pinball has to go take other people's money. 2014, 2015, those are the dates in which Jersey Jack goes and gets investment capital to keep Jersey Jack Pinball afloat. And if you don't think that Jersey Jack Pinball without outside investment dollars wasn't going to close its doors during the Hobbit fiasco, they would have been done. They would have been one game and done. They would have done Wizard of Oz and everyone who had money in on the Hobbit would have lost their money had not the outside investment dollars come in. And that's fine. Look, companies have to financially structure themselves. But here's what, here's what I want to do. I want to read for you some of the messaging from the press releases back then when this happened. And this is January 15th, 2014. So this was roughly six years ago. Jersey Jack Pinball, the industry-leading designer and manufacturer of premium no compromise pinball machines announces that they have entered into an equity partnership with the investment arm of JDA. The founding group of JDA has a proven track record of success and generated over $40 million for their shareholders in their last transaction. You know, it's funny that they have that in there because it's like, okay, so what? Like, what is this going <laughs> to... There is no way Jersey Jack Pinball is making people $40 million. Okay, this next part's interesting. It goes, this partnership will now enable Jersey Jack Pinball to have the resources to fund multiple game platforms, expand into related technologies and markets, and to provide a catalyst for growth. Let's stop right there. Did that investment in 2014, did that fund multiple game platforms? Now, 
does multiple game platforms just mean multiple games? Because a platform is different than a game. Did it expand into related technologies? Let's just look at that. No, it didn't. Why would they say that? What And what was their plan to expand into related technologies? What is a related pinball technology? Can someone email me at Canada's Pinball or CanadaPinball at gmail.com and tell me what is a related pinball technology? Okay, and then the quote. I love the quotes because in a press release, the quotes are really my favorite part because they're usually not written by the person who is saying the quote. That happens in my industry all the time. But it's also the moment in which they try to humanize the technical BS talk of a press release. Because most press releases are BS like that in which you're expanding into related technologies. It's like a bunch of gobbledygook. And even and even at the beginning, saying that Jersey Jack is the industry-leading designer and manufacturer, they're, they're, they are not. At the, Stern Pinball is just crushing them in 2014. But you can say you're the industry-leading designer of no-compromise machines. And I'll say this. A great friend of mine who is the editor-in-chief of Popular Science, he's now over at Hearst, he said, whenever you write about your company in a press release, don't tell me any hyperbole or adjectives. Don't tell me you're great. Don't tell me you're exciting. Don't tell me you're innovative. Just innovate. When you have to put those adjectives in there, it makes it sound like you're trying to convince us of something that's not true. And he's right. Go read an Apple press release. It doesn't sound like this. All right, so anyway, here's the quote. We are very excited to combine the strengths of these two dynamic organizations, the expanded talent, experience, and financial strength that this brings will enhance the future products we are able to build and add to the enjoyment of our player base, said Jack. All right. And so at this point, they had only shipped 700 games and they needed outside capital. So think about that for a minute. And then the next year in 2015, Jersey Jack Pinball, they get another round of investment from Think Lab Ventures, which is, we all know, Leonard uh, Abess. And it's, it's sort of like a, there's three guys that are part of this. There's, uh, let's see, Andrew Paul and the Playboy CEO, Scott Flanders. All three of them are pinball fans, and they have invested the largest capital, I believe, in Jersey Jack Pinball. And they are the reason why Jersey Jack Pinball is moving to Chicago. It is their decision. So they now have, it's basically their pinball company. This is Leonard's pinball company. It's no longer Jack's. When they launched Willy Wonka, we saw Leonard's son get up there and read from his cell phone the game. And look, he's a young kid. His dad's a billionaire. But to me, those are the moments in which I cringe that nobody passionate about the product is up there unveiling it. And we'll, we'll talk about Wonka later. But, you know, this is what happens when you take other people's money and they own your company and you lose control, you get further and further away from the dream, you get further and further away from what Wizard of Oz was supposed to start. It was the beginning of something that was gonna keep getting better. Every, and, and that's why I think people let Jack down, but I also think he's accountable for allowing people to make what I think are some of the most idiotic decisions in pinball but Jack is almost too much of a nice guy to push back 
against some of the very people that were surrounding him that were making decisions that were just terrible. And speaking of it, here is my main point on who I think let Jersey Jack down the most. And I think this is a combination of probably Jack listening to the idiots on Pinside who, who are always saying they want original themes. Go back and bring us original themes like the 90s. I think there's a lot of that circling inside Jack's head with very little market research going on at all. And he went in and he met with the most critically acclaimed and the most famous pinball designer maybe of all time, the man behind the most successful and best-selling pinball machine ever in Adam's family, Mr. Pat Lawler. So Jack having Pat Lawler on his team, this was Jack's big shot. He had the guy. He had the guy that, you know, is sort of like the god in the pinball industry. And he basically knew. It's like a baseball team. Your third and fourth batters, right? They're your, like your cleanup hitters. The guys that are supposed to drive in the runs, in the sales, in the profit. He's got Pat Lawler with the third title of Jersey Jack Pinball. A game that Pat Lawler has been given pretty much a blank check to do whatever it is he wants to do. And Jack told this story that he walked into Pat Lawler's studios and Pat had five concepts for a pinball machine. And Jack said it himself. He said, I stopped him after I heard the first theme and that was dialed in. Now, this is, to me, this is the turning point in Jersey Jack Pinball because at the third title with Pat Lawler, it could have been Toy Story. It could have been Willy Wonka Third. They had the most money and resources and all this financial backing to build Pat Lawler's dream game. And Jack bought in to Pat Lawler's dream theme. And they locked arms together and they put everything they could into this game. And Dialed In is honestly... If, if I'm going to be completely candid, it is one of the most impressively non-impressive games I've ever experienced. Everything that you look down at looks impressive and it makes you feel nothing. And that is the problem with Dialed In and it should have been recognized at the very moment Jack heard Pat Lawler sell this idea. You're in a city that's getting, we're, we're like a cell phone company. You have to power a cell phone to protect the city from all these different calamities that are attacking Quantum City. How the hell did Jack not say, what the F are you talking about? Make me Willy Wonka. Make me Pirates of the Caribbean. Make me The Matrix. Make me anything else, Pat. Give me anything else. I don't want to have a guy holding a cell phone up, wearing mom jeans with his shirt tucked in in this this city that is unrelatable. This whole game, is it, it, it's impossible to feel any connection to it. And I look, I love Pat Lawler designs in terms of his geometry. But then you couple with 
the fact that you're emotionally not even in that game ever. And then it's like the game itself, the callouts, there's no personality. There's no personality. Go ask David Thiel. Is it Thiel or Thiel? Go ask David Thiel if he'll ever work with Pat Lawler again. Go ask him that. And he'll tell you the truth. And that's the truth of the situation is Pat Lawler does what Pat Lawler wants. And Pat Lawler getting to do exactly what he wanted to do with a game that had such a high bomb, with a game that Jack needed to be a hit, Pat Lawler let Jack down. Pat Lawler failed horribly with dialed in. No marketing in the world. No marketing in the world. I couldn't solve dialed in. Nobody could. It's a theme that people don't want. Why did he do it? Why did they do that? Why did they think that this game that needed a comic book to explain it, it was one of the weirdest launches ever. Remember the launch? Everyone was just like, eh, what? Huh? You know, it's just that set what I think. That, that took the Jersey Jack. The train was going off the track after Hobbit and then dialed in. Just the train went off the track and crashed into the ocean. Okay, so so Pat Lawler, your dream guy, your 22,000 Adams family sold or 20,000 can't even can barely sell 2,000 dialed ins. And they must be sitting on. This is the other part. They must be sitting on so many dialed in parts in boxes in that Jersey factory. And that is another reason why Jack lost his company. Because you don't want to be sitting on millions of dollars in parts from the Hobbit because they overordered Hobbit parts, which is why they ran Black Arrow editions. You're sitting on millions of dollars in those parts, and then you've got all these dialed-in parts that you're not using all of them, and the game sales were horrible. Okay, all things considered, you got the the best designer of all time. You got the highest bomb in the industry, and you you deliver that game. Total failure. And I blame Pat Lawler. Pat Lawler should have known better. He should have known this game won't sell, Pat. Funhouse does not sell in 20, like 15, 16. Neither does like Roadshow. Neither does, you know, there's a reason why your Adams family sold and Twilight Zone. The best selling Pat Lawler games were all licensed themes. He should have known better. He should have helped Jack. He didn't care as much about helping Jersey Jack be profitable. I'm telling you this. He just wanted to make the game he wanted to make because a creative guy like Pat Lawler doesn't want to be hamstrung and forced into a creative box around a theme. He doesn't. And we'll see that when we go to Willy Wonka, how poorly, how poorly I think he translated the, the creativeness of the movie in pinball format because he doesn't want to. It's like, it's like he designs these mechanisms and he designs these things and they're neat, right? The lasers and dialed in. He designed those, like those, like L, those lights going all the way to the flipper, right? He designed those little LED lights in, in that pinball 2000 game he was making. So he's just carrying over ideas he had and he was allowed to put all of his ideas into one place and it was a big stinking bomb, okay? All right, so then, then moving on from there, then the, un- the impossible happens. The impossible happens. A guy who's never designed a game in his life, a-, a brand new rookie to the industry, 
a guy that no one's ever heard of, a guy that uh, if you if you passed him at a pinball show, uh, no one would even recognize him, a guy that's a nobody basically in pinball, a nobody that no one's ever heard of, goes and designs a game that blows Pat Lawler's game away. And you know who he is. And it's Eric over at Jersey Jack Pinball. And Eric is exactly what pinball needs. Young people who are hungry to make a name for themselves are going to give you the passion and the drive and the enthusiasm, and they're going to leave nothing out. I say that, you know, as I, you know, I do have to discuss what they had to yank out, but it's because Eric reached too far with pirates and wanted to engineer something that they couldn't figure out and he almost went overboard but people would much rather they would much rather have a designer reach for the stars and come up a little bit short than just recycle old ideas into a theme nobody wants and here's the thing too it's like they didn't give eric much to work with they gave him a theme that nobody really wanted Pirates of the Caribbean franchise was long past its prime. This isn't, again, this isn't another theme. If you did market research, who's coming back saying we need another Pirates of the Caribbean game? That decision is coming from Leonard. It's coming from Jack because Jack has memories of how well Pirates of the Caribbean sold when he was at Stern. And so they give Eric Pirates. And he makes the game which I consider to be the only other game that is at the caliber, if not better, than Wizard of Oz. To me, those are the only true Jersey Jack games that are at the level and at the standard by which Jack started this company. Wizard of Oz and Pirates of the Caribbean. And now you know the story. Eric designed this game And the story of Pirates was, again, a game that was just launched in such a horrible way. It never really recovered from Discgate. It never did. When they had to remove the three spinning discs and they had to remove the trunk that opened and closed, it never fully recovered the momentum. And people had to wait a year before games started shipping after they revealed it. And that crushed It crushed this game's ability to be successful. And it wasn't Eric's fault. He did everything he could. And we saw the video. We saw how bummed out he was that it couldn't make it into the final game. But it wasn't Eric's fault. Here's the thing. And this is, again, this is where everyone, as much as I feel bad for Jack, I almost feel the worst for Eric. Because ultimately, they never should have shown the game that early. And if you hear what I'm hearing behind the scenes... The only reason why they showed the game so early when it wasn't nearly ready for production is that the investors were getting antsy because dialed-in sales sucked. And because dialed-in sales sucked, they needed to push Pirates of the Caribbean forward into the spotlight, onto the stage, to show the investors, to calm them down, that the next title would have sales. See, what Jersey Jack Pinball can't do is what Stern does every month or two. If something's not selling well, just rerun another of something else. If Stranger Things isn't hitting, bring back 
Metallica. If it's not hitting, bring back Star Trek. If it's not hitting, do another run of Star Wars with animated artwork. Let's do a heavy metal game. You know what I'm saying? Stern is always able, they're always able to sort of hedge their bets because they have multiple lines and like eight or nine titles they can make at any point amongst the portfolio. And that's not even including almost 100 titles they can vault from, right? So basically, they screwed Eric over. And he had to show it early. And then he had to like show it when it was prototyped. And then he had to take stuff out. It never recovered. And the other person that didn't do him any favors. And I'm just going to say this because these are your, these are your like gods of pinball. And it's like, if you see these men at shows, you, you, you sort of get nervous about shaking their hands. And I'm just telling you, I don't care if that's Pat Lawler over there. I don't care if that's Keith over there, the coder. He wasn't helped out by Keith coding this game in such a complex and confusing way. Like at some point, at some point, Keith's got to walk into the room and be like, well, here's how you're going to start playing Pirates of the Caribbean. You're going to get to select from 22 characters. Like who in the room is like, why? Like, I get we don't have Johnny Depp, but why don't you just play as Captain Jack Sparrow? The entire game can be the way it is. And why don't you just code it that way? That's like really simple and maybe even get like, I know it's not ideal, but just get like a Johnny Depp sound alike to just do the lines and hey, let's, you know, let's go on, let's go on uh, Captain Jack's adventure and then think creatively. You got this upper play field. I, I still think it shouldn't start rocking until you set sail and you could have had a little mask go up and the sail open up and it would have been like one of the greatest things ever. But anyway, the game nowadays is being looked at as one of their best. I still think it's confusing. I still think it's a shame they have none of the assets. That's what killed that game. Lack of assets and the the horrible year wait when they yank stuff out. Okay, so then we move on to Willy Wonka. Pat Lawler's return again. Finally, Pat Lawler aligned with a licensed property that everybody loves. What could go wrong, right? Jack's, Jack's got his all-star up for bat the second time. And I go see it. And I have to say, like, on first pass, I think the game is a beautiful shooter. It is. And it looks beautiful. I don't have a problem with the artwork. And then you start to step away from it and you start to think about it. You start to think about the source material of the movie. And then you start to think about how they implemented that movie into the game. And then you start to scratch your head a little bit. And you start to say, well, wait a minute. These mechs don't really align with the stuff in the film. Why is the gobstopper just a scoop that's spinning? WonkaVision isn't silver with a big WonkaVision written on it. It's all white. And WonkaVision shrinks things down to size. Like, how did you not have... Why wouldn't you do something amazing that shrinks it down to size? And then you've got this camera that puts you on WonkaVision... And they do absolutely nothing creative with it. Nothing. You, it, the moment comes and goes without you even realizing it. But the biggest mistake of Willy Wonka is not Pat Lawler. Because I think, look, all things considered, I think we people are willing to give him a pass on, 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 on the mechs in the game and this and that. Ultimately, it was just, I think, one of the most discombobulated coded games of all time. In which they took the story that everybody loved and they absolutely butchered it in code format absolutely butchered it. They butchered the sequence of the movie. They butchered the scenes from the movie. They couldn't get the right assets. 
collect five golden tickets, it's impossible to play. Pat Lawler designed this game for operators. Joe Katz and company coded it for homeowners. If you were to summarize why Willy Wonka failed in my mind, you have a designer making the game for one audience and you have the coder making a game for another audience, making the game for another audience. And you combine the two and it doesn't work. So you've got incredibly frustrating buyers who, who or players who are getting on this game. You can play it and play it and play it. You can get two golden tickets after a year and you're gonna still have two golden tickets after next year. It's not about forcing you to become a better pinball player. It's about an ill-conceived design strategy. Okay, and then you, that's my issue is who are you making these games for and the ultimate F you is this. This is the reason why and I'm just going to say this. I don't like what Pat Lawler does to Jack. I don't like the decisions Pat Lawler makes for Jack. Willy Wonka Pro, right? The standard version. It, it, it is the ugliest cabinet artwork I've ever seen. And the only reason it's like that, and I asked Jack, why is it that, Jack? You have all these assets. Look at a Stern Pro. Look at, look at all the Stern machines. They all look good. There's no stripped down, crappy, just the logo on a Stern Pro. And this is, you're still, aren't you the premium, no compromise pinball company? That looks like a compromise. Why are the part numbers all over the art too? And you know what he said? Pat Lawler wants it that way. Because that's how Pat Lawler feels games should be. And that's how games were in the 90s. And yeah, because games were shoved in between other games in arcades. In someone's home environment, nobody wants to buy that crap. Nobody wants to buy it. So why, why do it? They should blow your socks off art packages on these games for these prices. The point is this, is that Jack has no control in front of the investors. And he has no control over guys like Pat Lawler. And now the whole thing is in Pat Lawler land. It's in Chicago. He's lost complete control of the company. I, I will say this. Did Pat Lawler let Jack down a second time with Willy Wonka? Did he or did he not? And I think if you add up this theme from Jersey Jack with Pat Lawler, I think the answer again is yes. This game is not selling at the volume it should have sold at. I should own one. You should own one. Nobody should not own a Willy Wonka pinball machine. It is the greatest theme for pinball. It is the greatest movie to translate into pinball. And they messed it up because, I'm telling you this, because I think over there, nobody is really creatively directing it other than guys like Pat Lawler. And, and it's hurting them, not helping them. Whoever thought this was the way to approach this franchise does not love the movie. They don't. You can't love Willy Wonka the movie and come away after playing that game and be like, they nailed what I love about that film. The only person who says that, his name is Derek and he likes everything Jersey Jack does. And I can hear him laughing right now over there in Texas. There's a reason why Chris the Pintern, a guy who dressed like Willy Wonka, he dressed like Willy Wonka at Texas Pinball Festival. He's the biggest Wonka fanatic. He doesn't own one. And if you ask him why he doesn't own one, it's everything I've just said. Okay? So that's it. Jersey Jack Pinball, ups and downs. Jack has lost his company 
And I think it's because Jack put his trust in guys like Pat. He put his trust in guys like Keith. He put his trust in his team, as a good boss does. And I think what happened at Jersey Jack Pinball is that there is too much, too much creative freedom to the point where these creatives are making decisions that aren't aligned with what people want in the marketplace. And if there's one thing Stern Pinball does so well, right? They, I know they're cheaper than Jersey Jack. I know the quality's not there. They're better at giving people what they want in terms of the right themes, getting as much of the integration into that theme, and giving you options, right? Because if you have a lot of options, you're not so laser focused to pick one game apart, right? I mean, Stranger Things to me is a total miss. It's Stranger Things to me is like way worse than like Willy Wonka. But it's like we only have three months to bitch about Stranger Things before Ninja Turtles is going to blow us away. And then we'll probably bitch about that. And then like whatever, Bill and Ted's will blow us away or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? But Jersey Jack, there's much more. There's much more focus and much more critique because there's only one game. There's only one game over like an 18-month period. And if you don't like it, then you're just like unsatisfied with Jersey Jack and there's nothing else you can get because there's only one new inbox Jersey Jack machine at a time. And so part of me just feels like that's the reason why Jersey Jack Pinball is going into 2020 and moving everything to Chicago. And, and I kind of agree with Iceman. This move is not a good one. This move to me feels like they're admitting they failed in a lot of ways. And it's sad to me because Jack's lost the company. And even though his name's on the product, his name's on the door, it's sad to me that his dream of, of Wizard of Oz being the beginning of, of making games better and better and better, I'm just not sure. Now, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic because Eric is next. And if anyone can put the ship in the water, can course correct the ship, no pun intended, it's Eric. And Guns N' Roses is going to mean a lot for Jersey Jack Pinball. And Guns N' Roses being successful has to be critical at some point for these guys. Now look, when you have billionaire investors, I I, I don't think they're going to go away, but I just want to see the games be great. I don't you know, I'm not I don't know, maybe you're like me. I don't care about them being profitable or not. I just want to own the magic. And and, and I'm going to read you right now. I'm going to read you right now. You answer this. Listeners of this show when, you, when I said, what has kept you from buying a JJP game? Let me read you what people have said. And I'm just going to go down the list. And then I'm going to end this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast because I got to get to work. Uh, Tony says, are you getting those updated hinges from... What the... Tony, why... Oh, wait. I'm in the Rick and Morty. Sorry, guys. I was reading from the Rick and Morty thread. Uh, this is the Jersey Jack one. And there's actually 55. So let me go through these. Let me let me go through them quickly. I'm not going to read all of them. So Justin says, I see many people saying theme. I don't get it. Their themes have been pop culture icons. That despite their age appeal to the general public, they may not be essential themes for our specific demographic. But if the mission is to appeal to a wider audience and grow intrigue in pinball outside of customer base already built, I think Waz, Willy Wonka, and Pirates are tremendous. They are the games my wife and non-pinball friends gravitate to because of theme and beauty. However, they get one or two games and pull back because the code is overwhelming. I am not yet looking to spend money on a new inbox game 
and I don't know if I ever will, but Waz is high on my want list. Okay, Justin, I think you hit the freaking nail on the head. These themes do expand and have broader audiences. The kids and the wives love these themes. And then the code makes them unapproachable, unrelatable, too complex, too confusing. That's not what pinball is. People walk up to a pinball machine and they want it to be simple. They want it to be fun. They want it to be immediately satisfying. And they code these games in a way, it's like they're making Final Fantasy games. No, people want to play Super Mario Brothers kind of fun when they play a pinball machine. Justin, thank you so much. Christopher Doyle said, price. To be fair, I'm not a new inbox buyer for anything though. All right, I'm just gonna stop there. If you're not a new inbox buyer, then how can price be the issue? Um, and he said something about $4,000. Okay, look, it, it, if you wanna buy new inbox pinball in 2020 and you want magic like JJP is putting into their games, come on, don't tell me these games are overpriced. When you look, when you look at what Stern gives you for $9,000 and they sell every one, and then you look at what Jersey Jack gives you for $9,000, I can't accept the price complaint. I can't. Because you morons out there, and I'm speaking to you guys all out there, you guys are the ones who are buying every Stern LE hand over fist, all these premiums at 7,500 that are like not the best quality. You're the reason why Stern is growing so much so, making so many millions, that they have the audacity to charge us 8,200 bucks for heavy metal. So don't talk to me about price. So Patrick says, love my Pirates LE, play the other titles except The Hobbit. They are okay, but not close to Pirates of the Caribbean. Glad I have never listened to Canada, his reviews of, on the pin. Look, look, first of all, Patrick, let me, let, me, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Pirates of the Caribbean, I just said it. It's their, I think it's the only other magical game with Wizard of Oz. I don't own one because of the complexity issues of it. You can't blame me on that. I don't want to sit there and pick 22 characters. All right, Brian Albert said, I maybe stand alone on this one, but I find JJP games kind of complicated and confusing. Greg says, mostly price, but glad he is making high-end games and wouldn't want to see him pull a stern to get price down. Laura says, I've never found one that is actually fun to flip. The actually flipping always makes me sad. Like the flippers barely have enough snap to make whatever shot you're going for. Probably in my head, but that's why it always feels like it's pretty unsatisfying. Now, Laura, you bring up an interesting point. If you go up to a lot of the JJP games out there in arcades, there's issues with them. And that makes it unsatisfying. All right, Cody said, guaranteed problems, aka guaranteed service calls as it would have gone on location. A local operator with a Wonka has had to pull it off of location for repairs twice. Uh, Johan says, for me personally, I don't think they have the same feel in the game like Stern or the WMS games. It's also the reason I don't like Spooky either. Harry says, I own three of their games, dialed in, was, and Wonka. I would own Pirates if I could find one in my price range. All right, so Harry, you're, you're a fan. So, so the only reason you're not getting Pirates is you can't find one. Uh, Michael says, theme, not a single sci-fi title, only family games, yawn. I was close on Dialed In and The Hobbit. Dialed In didn't end up liking very much, and The Hobbit is The Hobbit. Dennis says, for me, it's reliability, all right? Timothy says, price. Tony says, the themes just don't quite do it for me. 
Albert says, to be honest, it's simply the number of issues that JJP seemed to have, as I love playing pinball but hate having to fix them. Carl says, quality of build. Lauren says, packed but bloated and not very fun. Neil says, too many issues with dialed in, wouldn't risk it again. Brian says, nothing, own two, never any issues. We'll buy more JJP than Stearns moving forward. Pete says, money, space, and theme. Robbie says, haven't bought one yet because all my friends own one. Sep says, lack of great themes and price. Tim says, price and quality. Kelly says, he owns all of them. All right, Kelly. Kelly Daniel, I know who you are. I see you in the Jersey Jack thread. Let's see. Same thing with Carl. He owns all them. Steve, lack of money. David, not a new inbox buyer. But if I was probably wouldn't have bought a JJP because they haven't released a theme that I love. Mike says the coding of Willy Wonka annoyed him. He was in the market for his first new inbox machine. And after playing Wonka a lot at a local barcade, it was just random modes and confusing. Mike says a lot of people will say price is the reason, but the quality build of JJP, even on route in my shop, has maintained better quality um, than any 2015 Stern I own. I own three of the five and missed out on Pirates. Okay, so he's saying the quality's there. You know, quality is interesting because you get a good game, you get a bad game, and but for pinball buyers, all that you care about is the quality of the game you own. So we're hearing common common results here: price, theme, price, theme. I, you know, it's and so that's that's where we're at with Jersey Jack Pinball. He's lost the company. Are the games too expensive? I don't think so. Are they the most magical games out there? I don't think so either. Are they packed? Yes. Are they the best worlds under glass in pinball? I think so. But there's something about Jersey Jack games where they just need to simplify the formula and I think they'll have much more success. Make the games more approachable from a code standpoint, okay? People should know how to play these games without without these tutorials, right? These huge books and code rules on how to get through it. If you're gonna make a theme based on something people love, you gotta integrate it the right way. But ultimately, I think what Jersey Jack needs is his George Gomez and it moving to Chicago concerns me because I think the George Gomez of Jersey Jack pinball, the guy that's going to have final say is probably going to be Pat Lawler. And you, you know how I feel. I don't think he's the guy for the job. I don't care what he's done before. If I were going to make the final decision maker, the main executive creative director who gets the final say on everything, his name is Eric. Eric should be the future face of Jersey Jack Pinball. And I think most of you out there would rather have Eric design everything moving forward than Pat Lawler or Joe Balser or Barry O or J-Pop. All these old guys need to hang it up, give the reins to the young blood, and these companies will succeed. But listen to this feedback. Don't make your game so confusing. Don't. Your price needs to be where it's at. But if the fun level goes up five times, you can charge two times more. I got to go. Bubba's barking. Love you guys. That was my assessment of Jersey Jack Pinball 2020. Talk to you soon. <laughs>